Well, today we're in the third week of this series that we're just calling The End. And we started out by looking at some things that Jesus had to say and Peter and John and Paul had to say about the end time, the end of this planet that we live on, the beginning of a brand new eternity. Last week we talked about the final judgments that, uh, that Jesus would be involved with with us. First of all, the judgment of saved people, Christian people called the judgment seat of Christ. We're already in heaven when this takes place, so it's not about going to heaven, but it's about rewards and eternal rewards. And then we talked about the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the unsaved, where uh, there will be books of works there about punishment, but it's all about, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's what means the difference between heaven and hell. And much of what uh, we've read may seem strange to some, some people, otherworldly to some people. And if that's true, then what we're going to start today will even seem stranger because uh, today we're doing the book of the Revelation part one. Now, I know that I told you that I was going to give you everything you always want to know about Revelation in 30 minutes or less. Uh, I might have been off more than I could chew with that one right there. So I decided <laughs> to break it up. And uh, instead of, uh, you might have missed lunch today. So we're going to get started with part one today, and then we'll finish the month. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll finish out with the, the rest of it. But part one of this book of the Bible uh, called The Revelation, it's the final book of the New Testament, the last book written by an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, considered by ancient Christians to be from God, God-breathed, inspired. If you've ever tried to read the book of the Revelation, you know that it's filled with visions of heaven and visions of fantastic creatures of Satan and Antichrist and the false prophet, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, beasts with multiple heads and horns on them. It's filled with numbers, a lot of them related to seven or a half of seven, three and a, three and a half, 42 months, which is three and a half years, 1260 days, which if, it's three, if you have 30 day months, that's the same as three and a half years, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of judgment that are poured out upon the earth. But the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. We can get off in all this fantastic stuff, but it's all about Jesus. I said this in week number one of this series. The message of the book of Revelation is that a lot of bad stuff is going to happen eventually on this planet. War, racial tension, natural and environmental disaster, spiritual punishment, but Christians can take assurance and comfort in the fact that God is in control. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. God's in control and that he will rescue us from all of that. I also said that as Christians, we're not supposed to drop out of society and drop off the grid with our rations and with our weapons. What we're supposed to do is to watch for the return of Jesus by working for him. Trust God, keep moving forward and tell people about Jesus Christ and the eternity that they can have with him. But for today, let's let the book of the Revelation speak for itself. We're gonna start reading some things there, all right? Why not start with Revelation chapter one, verse one? That's usually a pretty good place to start. Uh, we're gonna talk about, you know, what is this? And why should we even care what this, this book in the Bible says anyway? Revelation one, one begins like this. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants 
what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Let's stop there for just a minute. That opening phrase, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, tells us what this book is about. This book is about Jesus Christ. It's, it's of him, it is from him. He is the one revealing the things and he is the subject of the book of the Revelation. Now, how about that word revelation? Uh, interesting word. We know revelation is the revealing of things, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's from the Greek word apocalypsis, from which we get our word what? Apocalypse, right? That, that, that's an easy one. That's not hard at all. It means an unveiling or a disclosure. And this particular revelation is about divine things that have been unknown, can only be made known through a revelation given to us from the God of heaven. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That word soon is interesting because it translates two, two words, which, means, which mean in a brief space of time. The idea is that the events described in this book are going to happen suddenly and in quick succession when they start, rather than they're going to happen tomorrow or they're going to happen immediately. Rather than being a historical presentation, you know, the Gospels are about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John uh, are about Jesus, but they're historical presentation. The book of the Revelation is about Jesus, but it tells us the future of what's going to happen. Uh, the Revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel. That he made it known uh, is a word that means to make known by signs and symbols. It can just mean communicate as well. But there are a lot of signs and a lot of symbols in the book of the Revelation. And the one who received the revelation from Jesus Christ is this guy called John. The best evidence supports that the, the apostle John is the author. The one who wrote the gospel of John the apostle whom, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who wrote the, the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the New Testament. He was the last of the original, living, original 12 apostles. And when he wrote this, got this vision and wrote this book or wrote this letter, he was on an island called Patmos. And I have a map. I like maps. I may even have two maps on here, probably left them. But you see the... Uh, uh, that mass of land on the right, that's, that's modern-day Turkey. And there are seven cities mentioned there. Each one of these cities had a church in it. And the book of the Revelation is addressed to those seven churches. And uh, the apostle John, because he had been preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, had been sent there uh, on the uh, band to the island of Patmos where he did slave-type labor where he lived in a cave, and it was there on this island where he received the vision. Let's, did I leave that other map in? There's the other map too. That kind of shows you Patmos right in the middle there, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, Greece off to the left, Turkey coming down, Syria and, 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 and Israel, and all the way down to Africa, Egypt. You know, that's a real place. It's a real island. It's still there. It's the place where John was banished. Let's go back and read verse 1, then we'll go on to verse 2. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who, verse 2 says, who testifies to everything he saw, 
That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John faithfully described what he saw as the word of God and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. What John saw was a communication from and about Jesus Christ himself. And here's the why, verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Finally, why should we care anyway? You know, that's all complicated stuff. Why should we even care and hear about this? Well, because there's a blessing pronounced on the one who reads it aloud. That would be me for this morning, although not always me. And then on the hearers, but not just hearing isn't enough. Uh, Studying isn't enough. Comprehending what it's all about is not enough but for those who take it to heart or to those who respond in obedience to it. So what is it that we're supposed to obey and keep from the book of the Revelation that will bring us a blessing? Well, we're going to survey the book, and then that's what we're going to find out at the very end. So we're going to start today, but we won't, find, we won't conclude until the very end, although I've already said some things along this line. By the way, One more important thing about the book of the Revelation before we start talking about Jesus in the book. Uh, It is a letter written to those seven churches that I showed you on the map, right? Revelation chapter one, verse four. Next verse says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before the throne. The New Testament, all the New Testament, was written to churches. Jesus' presence on this earth, the keepers and proclaimers of the word of God. Not that it's ever done outside of churches, but churches were established by Jesus. Verse 5, and from Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the first one to resurrect from the dead, guaranteeing us that all who believe in him will raise from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by the blood. That, the words to him begin praise directly to Jesus himself, to, he who, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, verse six, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ is all about Jesus. It's not about monsters and scorpions with big stingers on their tails and things of that nature, although there's some of that in here. It's all about Jesus. So what our plan is, for a couple of Sundays at least, is to break the book of the Revelation down into five sections or themes and see who Jesus is in each one of these sections or themes. Beginning in section number one, Revelation chapters one through three, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. The initial phrase, praise of Jesus continues in verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds. First time Jesus came, when he comes for the rapture and the resurrection, he comes in the clouds and we're caught up into the clouds. But look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. In week one, we talked about the first of the two aspects of Jesus' return, where he comes and it's it's, 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 a, it's a secret, like a thief in the night, and he, he catches away. First of all, he raises from the dead all the dead in Christ, and then he catches away or raptures all the living 
uh, in Christ. And, but this verse speaks about when he's going to come with the clouds and everybody on earth is going to know he comes back this time. After this thing that we talked about last week called great tribulation, the great outpouring of the wrath of God upon this planet, Jesus will come back with his saints and every eye will see him. And then Jesus describes himself in verse 8, Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Christ is before all creation. He was here before anything existed. He will continue to exist after this present creation is destroyed. He is the eternal one. And he says in this passage of scripture, I was here before creation. I'm already there at the end. You know, I'm, I'm already there. You can't understand that, but I am there. You have nothing to worry about because I'm coming back to you. And I can do that because I am the almighty or I am the all-powerful one. I have all power over all things. And then in Revelation chapter 1, after these verses, we begin to see a symbolic description of Jesus as the all-powerful one uh, to receive those who belong to him and to judge the world. Down in verse 12, Revelation 1, 12, Scripture says this. <clears throat> By the way, John, he heard a voice kind of from behind him to say something. And he turned around to see what it was. Verse 12 says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I'll just stop there for a minute. We're not gonna read all the verses, but later on Jesus says what a lampstand is. This, is. this is the seven churches to whom he's writing. A lampstand represents a church. Nothing new. Jesus, you know, was talking about how you're the light of the world. Remember how Jesus said to the Christians, you're the light of the world? Now, if you have a light, you don't stick it under a chair somewhere. Where do you put it? On a lampstand. So it'll give light to the house. You're an individual light. The church is the lampstand from which your light shines. And so John heard this voice from behind him. He looked and he saw seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches of Asia to whom Jesus is writing. Verse 13. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of God or Jesus dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. Verse 14, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. I guess that means watch out for the old guy with the white hair because he'll get you. I'm only kidding there. Got, got to laugh just a little bit. White is about purity. And uh, Jesus was, you know, I suspect if he was 30-something when he left this earth, he's going to always look about that way. I doubt that he had white, white hair. Uh, this is, this is uh, symbolic here of his whiteness being purity, and, and fire is judgment. So in, in purity and in judgment, purity that none of us can have on our own, he comes. He comes. Verse 15 says, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. Bronze is the metal of judgment. Again, uh, we, we have a symbolic representation of the characteristics of Jesus. Verse 16 says, in his right hand he held, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Stopping there for just a minute, the seven stars are later identified as the angels of the seven churches, the word 
angelos in Greek, the messengers of the seven churches, many think the pastors of the seven churches of Asia. So he held these seven stars, angels, messengers, pastors in his hand. And coming out of his mouth, this is kind of a, you know, I don't know what kind of a vision you get here, but, but the, the, the sharp double-edged sword is the way the book of Hebrews describes the word of God, right? Because the word of God penetrates. So it's just a pictorial thing. Not, not really like a sword swallow or anything like that. It's a picture of the word of God in all of its power uh, cut, coming from him. And, and his, his brightness and the brilliance of his glory is such that you couldn't even look at him like you can't look at the sun. Verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So would you, so would I, if you came in, in, in the very presence of God and, and saw this kind of a vision. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. The presence of the almighty God uh, of, of heaven caused John to fall in his, like he's a dead man, worshiping in his presence. But Jesus just laid his hand on him and said, you don't have to be afraid of anything. You belong to me. I love you. And I'm here for you. The presence of the all-powerful God. That's what this book of Revelation is all about in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega in chapters 1 two, through 3. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation are messages to the seven individual churches. But let's move on to section number 2. In Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus is the Lamb of God. After those seven individual messages, uh, in Revelation 4, there's a symbolic description of the throne of God, uh, talking about the power and the holiness and the worthiness of God. All of Revelation chapter 4 is an introduction to the main point of this section, which opens up all the terrible stuff that happens in Revelation 6 through 18. There is a, a scroll, and the Father is sitting on the throne holding this, this big scroll, and there are seven seals on it. And the question comes from the angels, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll or open the book? And they looked, and nobody was worthy uh, to do that. And John wept and cried because nobody was worthy to open this scroll, which would be a declaration of everything was to, to come, the declaration of the, of the end, of all the judgments that would come upon people. And then one described as the lion of the tribe of Judah was introduced as worthy to open the scroll. And John turned to look to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, but instead of seeing a lion, he saw a lamb, Revelation 5, 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, slaughtered, sacrificed, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. The lion and the lamb, both of them obviously speak of Jesus Christ 
I say obviously because of the images are throughout scripture. The lion is Jesus at his second coming, what the book of Revelation is about to bring justice. The lamb is Jesus at his first uh, advent when he came to die for the sins of the world. Horns throughout scripture represent strength. So seven horns represents absolute strength and authority rather than thinking about some deformed creature. Uh, we need to think of the lamb, uh, but this lamb is powerful. He has all power and all authority and his seven eyes are identified as the seven spirits of God or as the Holy Spirit of God that goes out into all the world. And then Jesus, uh, who is worthy, uh, takes that scroll out of the hands of the Father. He's praised by the four living creatures and the elders. I'm not going to describe them for right now. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says, and they, these elders and these, uh, these four living creatures, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. They sing, you are worthy. We sang that this morning. Then if you listen carefully uh, to the words of the songs that we've been singing on Sunday mornings, every song relates in some way to what we've been talking about as far as the end time of the book of the Revelation. You alone are worthy. We are all sinners. We all have baggage. You have none. Only Jesus has the moral and divine worthiness to open the scroll because, and then the reason he is worthy becomes the a statement of the gospel. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Uh, Jesus died to pay our, the price of our sin. And the indication here to me is clear that people from every race, every language, from every era are going to have been covered by the blood of Jesus and will go to heaven. Jesus himself said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, that the kingdom, uh, the gospel of this kingdom will be preached throughout all the world. And after that is when the end will come. The book of the Revelation is about Jesus. When the, when the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ, begins breaking these seals open off this book from chapter 6 through 18 in the book of Revelation, that's when the really bad stuff starts to happen. But today, for today, I'm closing part one with this image of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember uh, in the Gospels when Jesus first appears on the public scene to be baptized by John the Baptist? And um, uh, John had never seen him before, but John, uh, when John sees Jesus coming, he recognizes who he is. And in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, this is John the Apostle. Uh, the next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was powerful imagery that was familiar in Jesus's day. Uh, sacrificial animals had from the beginning of sin represented the sacrifice of Jesus who would be 
coming. We don't like to think about animals having to die for sin, but that happened from the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? God had to kill animals and take their skins to cover Adam and Eve. And and all the animals were like pets to Adam and Eve in those days. And then God called Abraham, uh, and he would form Abraham into a nation that would represent him in the Old Testament. And he gave Abraham a son. He's called the Abraham's only son because he was the son through whom the promise would come. But God said, I want you to take that son of yours, that one that I promised you, that one you waited 100 years for, and I want you to take him to the place where I'm going to lead you to, happened to be where Jerusalem is and the Temple Mound today, and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. Now that goes against everything that you know, we think about. Sacrifice a human being, and of course, uh, the sacrifice that God wanted was him just giving him up. God d- never intended for him to die. But so Abraham and Isaac were going along and they got some helpers with them. And finally, they, the last way as they're going up the mountain to make the sacrifice, uh, uh, they're by themselves, just father and son. And, and they've got this wood, somebody's carrying the wood, and they got some fire, which means some coals, you know, or something to, to start the fire for the sacrifice. And Isaac, who's a, a, a younger guy, I uh, don't know how young, maybe could have overpowered this, uh, his daddy, who's over 100 at the time, uh, says, Dad, we got the fire. We got the wood. Where's the animal? We're going to sacrifice. Genesis 22, verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they just kept walking. The two of them went on together. Uh, it, makes, it gives me goosebumps when I think about it because I think about my sons and grandsons and you know, things of that nature. But, but uh, Abraham with confidence said, God will provide, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Eventually that lamb is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. Now if you remember the story, they get up there and Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son, but before he can kill him with the sword, uh, and and sacrifice him, God stops him and provides a a wild animal, a ram, and he sacrifices them. Then God called his people out of slavery in Egypt. You know, his people grew from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, And they went into Egypt and were in slavery. And he he brought them out of that slavery in Egypt. But to bring them out, he required that each family would sacrifice a lamb before they left. And they were to sacrifice that lamb on a particular night. Then Exodus chapter 12 and verse 7 says this, then they are to take some of the blood from that lamb. And read other descriptions. They had a, 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 a plant known as a hyssop. And they put some blood in a bucket. And they would deep dip that in the bucket and they would take that and put it over the doorpost and on the doorpost and over the lintel on top. I don't know if they came up, went side to side or if they went side to side up and down or whatever it is, but that represented the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross for us. In any house in all the land of Egypt that was not covered by the blood of a lamb was to suffer the death of the firstborn in that house. Verses 12 and 13 say this, Exodus 12, verse 12. On that same night, God said, I will pass through Egypt. 
and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood, that blood that, that the lamb that you sacrificed and that you didn't throw him away, you eat him that night. Uh, that blood that you put on your door, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And the Israelite nation was commanded from that time forth to celebrate Passover every year, celebrating their release from slavery in Egypt. And it pictured Christ's death on the cross to redeem us from the slavery of sins. Kind of amazing. Kind of amazing that when you can go back thousands of years before Jesus and God is preparing people for the sacrifice that would come. During his public ministry on earth, Jesus celebrated the Passover every year of his life. The last three years or so with the 12 disciples who followed him. On the night he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. On the eve before he was crucified on the cross for your sins and my sins. He gathered with the 12 uh, in an upstairs room in the city of Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Somewhere along the line, Judas left to take care of business. But when the rest were there at the end of the supper, Jesus instituted a new celebration called communion or the Lord's Supper so that we can remember his sacrifice in the church that he has established on this planet. There's no longer any need for animal sacrifice because the real sacrifice, the one that all of them pointed to, was made by Jesus on the cross. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 5, verse 7, he wrote this, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb who was worthy to open the seven seals uh, scroll mentioned in the book of the Revelation died for our sins. Now, all we have to do is confess those sins, repent of those sins before God, believe that Jesus died on the cross sufficient to take away our sins, and then express our faith in him to save us. Once we've done that, once we've been born into God's family, once we have been saved, uh, whatever terminology you want to use, once we have done that, then we have to live the rest of our lives obeying the message of the book of the Revelation. And we're going to talk more about that in weeks to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus and the gift of eternal life. I know that you're here with us today. I thank you that he is the lion and the lamb. But right now, I really thank you that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And not because of our goodness, but because of his sacrifice, we can live eternally with you. Draw us to you. In Jesus' name.